Welcome to the One County Podcast, where we talk with creators of all mediums about their work and why they do it. I'm your host, Andrew Paul Davis, and today we are shaking things up a bit. We are not talking to a creator, to an artist in the traditional sense. We're talking to my friend Chris, who went to school for film criticism, film theory, and is now a film programmer, so he's doing um, a little bit different things than necessarily film criticism. Um, but we kind of talk about the difference between those things and where criticism sort of exists in culture. And just a reminder, for next week's episode, we are going to be discussing the movie Inside Lewin Davis. Um, so if you have never seen that movie before, watch it this week. I'm about to rewatch it right after recording this, actually. And um, basically, we're just going to have a discussion. And if you um, have any thoughts that you would like to share about that movie, I would love to get a couple random listener guests on this show. Just uh, make it like a one-minute voice memo on your phone and introduce yourself, name, where you're from, and then just ramble on for one minute about uh, your thoughts about Inside Lewin Davis as it relates to the theme of our podcast, which is sort of talking to creators and artists about their work and why they do it. Email your voice memo to andrew at onecountyfilm.com. And if you don't have time to watch it, but you've seen it before and you still want to voice your opinion about it, you can also do that as well. Enjoy the episode. Chris, explain to the listener what you do. Okay, so I am a film programmer. Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles, California. Um, I, I work for this organization called the American Cinematheque. We're a nonprofit that's kind of just dedicated to um, exhibiting films of all kinds, new and old. Um, we do a lot of repertory programming. We also do like movie premieres. It's a it's a great mix of. Um, just different types of films. We own two theaters, the Egypt, the Egyptian theaters on Hollywood Boulevard. It's like a historic building that opened in the 20s. And then we also um, own in Santa Monica, this small little rep house like that's uh, called the Arrow Theater. Um, so basically what I do is I um, help kind of from like the early um, formulation of events, I, I would come up with ideas of you know, films we should show, guests we should have come out to talk about the films. And I kind of, you know, try to pitch these things and bring them all the way through to the, the event itself. So it's just a very fun job. You're doing something different, you know, every day. <laughs> Is Where does, like, the Egyptian rank in kind of, like, the Hollywood venue? Because it's, like, the Chinese theater is, like, the big classic one. Is, like, Egyptian number two or three? Like, where does that all rank? The Egyptian is actually, it's, I believe it's older than the Chinese, built by the same guy, Sid Grauman. Oh, cool. Um, and they just kind of had different trajectories. Like, the Chinese theater was bought by this company called TCL, and they turned it into a multiplex, and they basically just do first-run movies. You can see things in IMAX. They also do, like, premieres of movies, like red carpet premieres on, in the big room. And the Egyptian had a much different history um it's kind of it it's all kind of foggy to me but i know in the 80s is when it started to it like the american cinematech form formed and then i think in like the early 90s the the city donated the egyptian to us and that's when it became like a rep house where we um you know started showing like old movies like things that celebrated cinema history so one is like the kind of glamorous, like new Hollywood and the other is like, like celebrating its history. And that's kind of the, so they are very much, they, you know, they, 
they're, they, they're both themed, you know, one's the Egyptian, one's the Chinese. That's why they're kind of like that. Um, and those are, yeah, to my mind, two of like the biggest. Um, they're, on, they're both on the Hollywood Boulevard on the Strip. Um, there's also the El Capitan Theater, which is just another big theater that was bought by Disney um, a few years back. And we're the only one that's like kind of owned by a nonprofit organization at the moment. You started at the Cinematheque with your internship. Was that hard to get? Did they like make you take a ginormous film history SAT? <laughs> oh God, no. Uh, it was, yeah, that that was strange. I mean, it was kind of just like the right time, the right place. I classic LA answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I was going to the Cinematheque all the time. I I don't know. I I got lucky with the internship and then with getting the job too. I mean, it, like. Interns come in and they stay a very long time. I, I stayed almost a year um, before I got the job, but I guess I would have been on my way out had I not been hired. Um, but anyways, it, in terms of getting the internship, I, w- I was just like, I got to be doing something with my time. I was I'm doing my master's at USC and I was like, had all this spare time. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be done with this program in two years. What am I going to be doing afterwards? And Lindsay actually showed me a, a listing <laughs> on this website called Entertainment Careers. Um, and I applied for it. Um, I didn't hear anything. I tracked down emails and I just bugged the two people who are now my bosses. <laughs> and I got an interview and the interview was a really just weird, informal Skype call. And then they said, well, why don't you just come in and work a day and we'll test it out. And then <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. But it, yeah, I just I got lucky. I mean, and we can get into what that internship was like, you know, like not not a glamorous job, but it was in programming. And I did get a sense of what they do. And I just kind of fell in love with that. And I wanted to, you know, work my way towards that. So let's step back like a decade or so, like. What what made you fall in love with film in the first place? Oh gosh, <laughs> um, it's strange. I don't know where to pinpoint that because I, I, you know, I I have a good relationship with my dad, and we always watch movies together. Um, but my, I was never super adventurous, and I like there's a lot of things I just didn't want to watch with him. I didn't necessarily like want to watch old movies. Um, I just kind of liked the way movies made me feel. And it was when I got to my freshman year of college where I just like totally dove in and like, that's all I did with my time. Um, so I actually see like a lot of like, like any time before that just lost time <laughs> in a way. I feel like I could have been watching more, I, especially, you know, it's very useful for what I'm doing now is to just have an encyclopedic knowledge. And, you know, you, you can think you know a lot, but you just don't. <laughs> there are people who just you know, spent decades. There's like a hundred tiers of movie knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, right before we recorded this and you're talking to me about this like Detroit filmmaker who I've never heard of. And <laughs> yeah, I mean like you're further along than me in terms of like the amount of like foreign and historical movies you've seen, but yet you still look on to other people that you meet and you're like, whoa, dude. Like, Oh yeah. It's like depressing. I mean, it's, it comes down to a matter of like how much time they've had to watch things, you know, and yeah, and their childhoods will be in a different point in film history and they will have been immersed in that in a way I couldn't have been. So, but I like for what I'm doing now, I just have to see it as like I, I bring a perspective 
from my generation, you know, of like those types of movies. And absolutely, someone who's you know more of a veteran might not be as interested in you know my era. Would you say that like most of the filmmakers and actors and people you bring in for like screenings and Q and A's are they are they active or are they like more historical people who are still alive? It's a mix. Um, a lot of them are active. Like the, the brand new people or like, you know, exciting new actors, they'll normally come through because they have a new movie and they're on like a press circuit and they're going to do something at our theater. Um, but that doesn't stop me from also going after them if I want to do like, you know, like we had Andrew Garfield here for like the social network and that movie's kind of old now. He was like eight years old or something like that. Um, but in terms of, like people who are retired, yes, there are like those we get that are on their last legs <laughs> and we're like, we want to, you know, preserve their memories. Um, and, you know, we record all the Q and A's and stuff like that. So that's very nice. And those are the things that are really special to me. Um, I also like going after filmmakers that, you know, I really admire, but have kind of just been obscured in some way. Like they're not, you know, really in the cultural moment. Um, which is nice to kind of give their film a new life. I mean, that's like the goal of a programmer is to, you know, discover movies, not not just new movies, but to rediscover old movies. Um, so that's what makes it a lot of fun as well. Did you ever, by chance, have Liv Ullmann at the Cinematheque? Probably. Uh, well... But not in your time. I want to look it up now. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull it up really fast. I like... So, not my so I don't mean to make this about myself, but I don't think we've really talked much in the past year. But when I was in London in January 2018, I don't know if I like texted you about this, but I saw her at the BFI in a talk. Yeah, I you might have and, mentioned that. And yeah, I mean, it was just super cool, like seeing. It's like 1960s in movies feels like 1850s in real life. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you think like um, I know people who were alive then, but when you meet like. A famous world cinema actress from that period it feels like even like more like oh yeah I, I don't know like like films just still new but there's still such magnitude to like anything done like 20 years or earlier you know it's just totally it's just a gold mine we, we had kim novak um at the theater i, I was there for that that was cool <laughs> that was a, and we showed vertigo in 70 millimeter which was like Okay, I think that's my that might be who I was thinking of, like other like famous woman from that period. Yes, who had done done big work. Yeah. So, like, do, do you go after these people yourself, or is it kind of like delegated? Like, you kind of help choose and curate, and then you have someone else go after them, or like you contacting them? Um, we all help each other. Um, I've kind of have like developed this knack for getting guests. So some people ask me to help. Like, I got Jodie Foster to come out for one of my events, which was wild. Yeah. Um. I'm working on the, I just got confirmed this director named John Dahl to come out who did these like really wonderful neo-noirs in the nineties. Um, so basically for, for my films, I like to just be the contact all the way across like the, the stuff I program. Um, and then, you know, if I'm asked, I'll, I'll help out the other programmers and stuff like that. I mean, we, we all kind of work together. We're all bouncing ideas. We're all suggesting guests to invite are ton of your guests like already living in the LA area for the most part? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's much more complicated okay. to fly somebody out. Right. Um, I'm working on that right now with um, 
a couple different people and it's just like we're a nonprofit. We don't have like, you know, and limitless money or anything to do to do stuff like that. But you still we still have to pay for flights and, and whatnot. Um, right. So it, it can be it can be tough. But yeah, luckily we're in L.A. And a lot of people live there. A lot of people live like down the street <laughs> and it's no big deal to come. Yeah. And we all need something to do on a Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you go to a screening of your film from 20 or 60 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, I mean, like you went to school for like film theory and film criticism. Like, mm-hmm. are you feel like you're doing something a little different than that, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I don't know. I really enjoyed my time in undergrad. Um, I was studying things I liked. I was, you know, it was a very film theory heavy um, program, you know, it was part of an English department. Um, I got to study like philosophy and I also studied Russian and I got to USC cinema school, which is very much an industry um, type of school. And I kind of just lost that connection to the material. Um, I mean, it's, I don't want to blame the school as like a lot, a lot of my own fault, but I, I think I, like as soon as I got to LA, I was become like I just was like, less certain I wanted to get a PhD and be a professor and all that. I was just too um, attracted by <laughs> so many different avenues I could have taken myself, and this this ended up being one of them. So, so yeah, I'm pretty much not, at least right now, on an academic track anymore. It, it feels good. I mean, it's only been like just over a month since I. Um, graduated, but <laughs> it feels like a great relief <laughs> at this moment. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you like want to be more of a critic in the traditional sense down the road, or do you feel like you kind of found a big thing for you, like programming and moderate, moderating these kind of filmmaker visits and Q and A's? Um, the, you know, the critic, like, like a career as a critic is very attractive in some ways In other ways I know it's hard and frustrating and, you know, like, you know, becoming a a sort of journalist is like a hard thing to do right now. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't think I've found my voice as a critic. I haven't really tried or practiced that. So it's, it's hard to um, really picture myself doing that right now. Like a lot of people, a lot of people ask me what I want to do. And it's, it's hard to think past programming just because I like it so much. And I feel so lucky because there's only like X amount of theaters in the country or even the world that like do these types of events, you know, like we're still showing 35 millimeter film and there's very few places that still do that. And to be a part of that is very special. So I think I'm going to hold on to that for, for a long time. And, um, you know, it also can lead to many, many places you meet a lot of people. So, and you kind of, I mean, I just assume you sort of like any movie for, like you're you're gonna be more interested in like anything like before 2010 than like stuff that's coming out this year. So it's like a a critic has to like go see new yeah mediocre movies every week. <laughs> but a programmer is like if you want to go home and do some Criterion whatever yeah. like that's gonna benefit your work. <laughs> well, it, it's funny we ask a lot of critics to like the like the LA Times critics and 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 whatnot. We ask them to moderate Q and As, and they're just like, yes, <laughs> like I would love to go out and talk about like this old film. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and they they love new movies, of course, but I get to do both, so <laughs> I'm I'm just like liking to be in both worlds. What do you th- like? I guess like talking about critics, like what do you think is the function of like a critic in society? Like it's like kind of an obvious answer, but like whatever your like nuance on kind of how they fit into society. Um, 
And maybe you could talk about Rotten Tomatoes, too. <laughs> like, that's a big thing right now. Well, my exposure to critics right now is really all through Twitter. And I have such a love-hate relationship with, like, you know, film Twitter and, and you know, that whole, like, yeah. some days it's like, wow, that was really uplifting. And I think they've really, you know, captured a cultural moment. And others, it's like, they're all bickering and it's just, like, totally toxic. So I, I think, and then I'm like, can I just enjoy a film without even having to worry about what these guys are writing? So it, it's, you know, it's something that's, like, very beautiful, but also kind of dangerous, you know, like they have like a real responsibility to, you know, not just like the filmmakers and the, and representing the films, but also just to the public to kind of always find, um, you know, a sort of silver lining in a, in a cultural moment and to, you know, like direct people the right way to the right films and also give people a, a healthy perspective. Um, a perfect example was um, Scorsese's new movie, the um, the Bob Dylan documentary. Oh, I got to see that. On Netflix, which I absolutely loved. And I think the critics just got it, it totally wrong. And it, I think it was a lot to do with a personal, you know, like a personal embarrassment. Because w- what happened with that film, I don't know if you've heard, but came out, like got generally well received and then people realized that Scorsese and Dylan were playing pranks on people. Like a lot of the stories in the film are just completely fake. Oh my God. Like, they're not true. They're like, there's actors as talking heads in the movie, like telling these stories about the old days that are just like, it's a complete prank, a total F you, you know, middle finger to, you know, people who like, um, you know, it's hard to say what they're actually directing that at but it it's you know it was just funny that um critics you know were almost embarrassed that they didn't get it at first and then they totally like flipped on it oh my gosh um, in that moment and um it was just kind of fun to watch (laughs) from the sidelines and also um sad to see them totally miss just the beautiful film and to really embrace the sort of chaos that Scorsese and Dylan were trying to create you know (laughs) Um, they felt betrayed in some way, but I, I just thought, um, you know, it was so much deeper than that. Um, but I, it's hard to articulate cause I'm not a critic. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to watch that tomorrow. That's fascinating. Yeah, it, it really I is. I totally missed that conversation. You try not to read about it and then just experience the emotions of knowing which parts are faked. It's, it's totally, it's like, you know, it's a magic trick. <laughs> so it's a mix and, of things. And it's funny, the film, not to spoil it, but it, it begins with, a magic trick and it's totally setting up what's about to happen <laughs> um gotcha and it's funny that a lot of critics missed that apparently but wow yeah. <laughs> as you said you're not a critic but do you think like criticism in, in itself as an act of creativity like sort of like interpreting other people's work and then like presenting your own perspective in a way that's like somewhat artful in itself you know is that is it like like we we've all seen birdman and we kind of see the clash of like the critic and the actor and the creator in that Mm -hmm. um is like the work of a critic like 25 percent art because it's just kind of like (laughs) just the art gone through a filter or is it you know like to what degree is it art in itself well i mean it's it's writing and it's i've seen critics be very creative i i love you know, reading Roger Ebert, not even for what he's saying, but just his prose and his perspective on life 
and perspective on what movies meant. Um, you know, that's very beautiful. It's like almost, it's like anybody who writes about culture are adding to the whole creative enterprise, um, in a way. Um, and that's why, you know, good critics are kind of hard to come by. Um, they have to have a little something, you know, like something like a filmmaker, you know, like a, a perspective that you haven't seen before. Um, if, if you think of art and criticism as the same thing, that it's all about, you know, perspective um, and that sort of, you know, what can you introduce that's new? Um, so I hope that kind of, that's just kind of how I see it. But um, do I see criticism as lesser than creating? Um, I think, a lot of criticism is just kind of crap. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It just, it just depends. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. It's like the critic in our culture has been very construed as like that immediately means negativity, Yeah, but it, it can foster and grow beauty, Yeah, you know, and it can even make you think that there's probably been times where I thought a movie was good. And then I read a review that like, yeah, as I said, that construes it in a certain way, and then I think that movie's great after reading that review. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, like it, it, I have mixed it, feelings it can about that experience. experience. Like when that happens, do you? Yeah, do you? Are you like? Do, are, don't you just feel confused? <laughs> You're like, what do I like? like yeah, I just don't I'm like, know. Yeah, I'm yeah. just being influenced by someone else. But I think a good test for that is, you know, when you think of that movie, are you thinking about what they said, or are you just thinking about the movie and its images and its effect on you and? I think typically for me that movies that I'm like, that like reviews kind of elevate are not ones that necessarily last in my memory. Um, yeah. Like there are a lot of movies I saw when I was much younger that I just sort of remember and, and love and I don't remember ever reading reviews about them. Um, so maybe I, yeah. maybe there's no use for criticism. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. But back to what you're saying about critics as negative. I, I will say I, I really love the art of trashing a movie. <laughs> like I do love really <laughs> bad reviews. I, I think that can be just as fun and just as productive. <laughs> um, like it's back to Roger Ebert, he was great at like destroying movies and it, a, a key destroyed careers in a single review like um what was that vincent gallo <laughs> that is a good example his career was ruined <laughs> after well, I, so let's like go to the opposite perspective of like the filmmaker do you think it's like because i most filmmakers feel like they should support every other filmmaker and they sort of see the like more the miracle of the process and like regardless if it's crap mm -hmm. like it was still like something really hard to go through do you sort of like, I mean, like I'm, I'm sort of on the fence. Like, are you like a little devoid of that empathy for like every filmmaker and you had to go through so much to get your thing made? Like, but you know, still having that freedom to like think it's bad, <laughs> even if it's mean. <laughs> I don't care what filmmakers movies like most of the time. It's just always so random. <laughs> like I, I, I don't think they're good critics most of the time. I, I don't, I mean, like that's, in a way that's sort of devaluing, devaluing what critics do as I don't think everyone can be a critic and everybody has an opinion and they're valuable, but, um, I wouldn't necessarily want to read a review or a take that a filmmaker wrote <laughs> unless the, unless they're like, there, yeah. there are many filmmakers that are actually very good critics, but, right. um, most of the time, yeah, it, it, it comes down to them, 
um, you know, respecting the process or even knowing other filmmakers, you know, that, that, that is, that has a lot to do with it. I, I 200% know I cannot be a critic. Um, one, because like, I already think too much about like what I'm thinking about a movie while I'm watching it. You know, it's just like Mm -hmm. very rare that I like, I truly get sucked into a movie without like, you know, thinking about the technicality or like exiting a scene and being like, Oh, that was good Mm -hmm. writing or that was, that was awful. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm like already kind of like actively criticizing quite a bit that I can't even imagine like having a notepad out too. And like having to like, make something afterwards like about my experience with it Um, and this this yeah i mean like that's a that's a lot of work and for people like us who like love movies and love the art of filmmaking like at least i know it would like ruin it a little bit for me (laughs) you know fairly um yeah but secondly i I don't know if you've ever listened to the film stage podcast they they review uh, current movies as they come out and um, I, don't, I don't even like see that many movies that come out like every month um, like usually I hit a bunch around Oscar season and stuff mm-hmm. um, but when I have seen something that they're reviewing and uh, say I like thought the movie was okay or something mm-hmm. they'll always point things out that I just like I never would have thought of <laughs> that were like criticisms of it and I'm like yes like <laughs> What, what do you think's like the difference between a programmer and a critic? Huh. Um, well, besides like the actual practice of you know writing and whatnot, um, I, I don't know. Like a, as a programmer, you do have to be more democratic. There's a lot of movies I really don't like that we you know have to show or we should show. Um, it's more you know like as a critic, you're giving your opinion and that's all that matters in that moment but for us it's like you have to show a film that you know is not for me but is going to connect with the community um so but like you know like the critics are attached to the community as well but it's just i i do see myself as constantly not removing myself but just being aware of the point when i'm giving too much of my own subjective subjective opinion because I, I certainly want wouldn't want to um, stop a, you know a community from seeing a film cert- just because you know it rubbed me the wrong way or, or something like that um, I, I think that's you know sort of irresponsible in a way um, so it's you know it's just about creating a, an open forum where these um, you know like these voices can be heard and where we're not, you know, in any way, um, you know, encouraged by corporations or, you know, anything. No, there's no like outside reason why we do and do not show things. Um, it's just to benefit the community and, and, you know, work towards, you know, art and culture. So I don't know if I've, um, thought through where the critic stands in relation to that as much, but that's kind of how I see myself and see what programming is. You like somewhat already just answered it, and then even um, early earlier in our conversation, when you were kind of saying like, you know, we're we're one of the few places that are making these types of films accessible to our local community. Um, but if there's anything else to add, like, why why do you do this, and like, what value do you think that you personally like by doing this bring to the, your community? I don't know. I mean, like. 
there's few like what places can you think of that really brings people together? I mean, there's churches, um, music, and there's film. Um, and you know, like the modern cinema is not really like that anymore. Uh, you, everybody just shows up, um, to see, you know, like the new studio movies, the Marvel movies or whatever. And you don't really like get a sense of community. Like, but you know, I, I tell you, if, if you went to one of the, one of our theaters, like you would really experience like what it's like to talk to people in the lobby about these movies and feel a sense that like, wow, these are like people from all different walks of life gathering together um, just to watch the same movie. And, you know, it happens to be this really obscure, you know, Mexican film or something, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, a special thing. And I, I just think we have to, you know, like I want to do my best to preserve that. I think that happened a lot more back in the day and it doesn't happen as much now, unfortunately. Um, just a personal anecdote. I went, um, we showed War and Peace, which is a, a, the eight-hour Russian version that yeah, is coming out. they showed that here at IU Cinema here recently. Oh, did you go to that? In Bloomington. No, I didn't go. But It was, I mean, what can you do other than, you know, sit in a theater all day and get to know, like, literally everyone <laughs> around you? And it was, like, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had, like, in a movie theater. <laughs> to just be, like, trapped in a room, um, it, trapped in a room, exposed to an incredible movie, um, you know, it's something you, you won't forget and you won't forget the people you met there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> the, the BFI put on scenes from a marriage for a whole day, awesome. uh, cause it was Bergman's <laughs> centennial and I did that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, is it like an art cinema? Is it an art theater, you know, or do you not like the connotations of that? Like what? What would you call it? Um, I I hope it's not an art cinema. I mean, like I we do a lot of art house stuff, but show a lot of genre films. We're like we're showing uh, like Fourth of July weekend, like Jaws in this movie called Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which is just like one of the worst movies. I mean, like actually <laughs> like bad but good, but actually pretty good. Um, you know, like we show all kinds of like B movies. You know, just just anything we can get our hands on, and and I. I mean, I, did, I haven't created this reputation. I'm, I'm new here. But I, I think what they've been going for here is just a place without a label, a place that just... Something, di- something different. Yeah, just loves movies and will show everything. Um, I think they, like the, they'll show everything except porn. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what you said about like bringing together a diverse amount of people because I think of a church and everyone in a church can look the same and can think the same and even going to see your favorite band you're kind of there mm-hmm. and like somewhat disgruntled with the fact of how much you're alike everyone around you and like yeah except they all might be dressed a tiny bit more alternative than you or whatever yeah um but like really a successful film festival experience a successful kind of like film venue like where you work mm-hmm. Um, is bringing in diverse people from different walks of life in a way that not many other venues do, you know? Um, I think, like, my own experiences at the BFI last year and here in Bloomington at the IU Cinema, like, it's just a very, like, like, not a pretentious, like, we're all seeing this thing that other people aren't watching, but it's kind of like a, like, cozy sort of, like, 
cultural injection yeah. <laughs> that we're kind of like communally doing, you know? Yeah. And I think those experiences are rare. It's not going to, ha- it doesn't happen every time. Like, so, you know, you'll show a movie like a Kubrick movie or something and you just have pure film bros, you know, <laughs> everywhere. But <laughs> if you show the right movie, you will get a diverse audience. And that's what I aim for. So. <laughs> Chris just has one of the coolest jobs ever. If you want to follow along his journeys at the American Cinematheque, uh, you can follow him on Instagram at clamare one So that's C. Lamare. His last name, Lamare, is spelled L-E-M-A-I-R-E. And if you live in the LA area or you're ever in town, swing by the American Cinematheque and creep Chris out and tell him you heard him on this podcast. The music for this episode was done by the one and only Dan Reed. Follow him at soundcloud.com slash Dan Reed. And this is your final reminder to watch Inside Lewin Davis. Or uh, if you've already seen it, just send me voice memo as I said at the beginning of this episode. Andrew at onecountyfilm.com. Hope to hear from you and we'll see you next week with that episode.